So how are we doing this morning, all right? Nice, cosy, warm, ready for a bit of a rest? No, you wouldn't fall asleep during my message, would you? Has there ever been a time um, when you have observed or experienced the community coming together, especially during a point of crisis? I'd be interested in hearing a few stories from you in just a moment about how you might have experienced the community coming together um, that you've observed during a point of crisis. For those of you who have been journeying uh, with us on Sundays or via podcast, you've previously um, seen or heard about the street where I once lived, where Mary and I once lived. In December um, into early January 2011, the rains came and a couple of weeks later, or a couple of um, days later, the dams and the creeks rose until on the 10th and the 11th of January when 12 houses were inundated with water. 14 of those were in our street with our neighbours opposite our house being some of those that were affected. So the one on the left was the one um, pretty much across from our place and a couple of doors up uh, was another neighbour's house as well and all the houses on the opposite side of our street had water go through the floorboards. Unable to return to their homes, power being cut for safety reasons, we had Di, Thomas, Yvette eat and bunk down with us and other neighbours that they stayed with as well. Nurse Mary sprang into action, bossing the police who were on the scene during doing traffic control to arrange an ambulance for George who was having a heart attack. Over the coming two weeks, we walked the soggy, squelchy neighbour's carpet, assessing the damage, taking photos for insurance, ripping out carpet and dodging the implications of an inundated sewerage system. We did get to save the neighbour's garden gnome, which you can just see its head right up to its nose in water, and that was at one of the lower points. Piles of rubbish quickly filled the nature strip as curbside cleanups took place over the coming weeks. Especially challenging was the fact that George and Di were trying to sell their house at the time. A house, interestingly enough, they still live in today, eight years later. The community pulled together during that time. Homes that were previously seen through the fog of screen doors were wide open as help was gladly received. Rather than seeing that as an invasion of privacy, expressions of compassion and support were experienced. And the community, who would never wish these floods on others, pulled together and pulled through. Because of Mary's involvement and our support of uh, George and Di and Thomas, uh, for the family they gave Mary, because I'm not a real tea drinker, Um, a beautiful little um, cup and saucer set just to say thank you. And the note says, To David and Mary, your kind thoughts and deeds do not go unnoticed. We thank you for everything. God bless you both. Di, Tom and Yvette, because George was still in hospital at the time. As I mentioned, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts about a, a time when you've experienced or you've observed a community coming together, especially during a time of crisis and what that meant for you. So if you just want to pop up your hand, I'll race around with the microphone and we can 
um, hear from you about a time where you've observed um, the, the community coming together, pulling together, whether it be a crisis for you or a crisis that, for someone else that you know about. So everyone want to pop up their hand? Yep. Good idea. No, I was in Queensland too at the time and I remember those floods and um, I was in Roma and you could see all, everyone from Brisbane all over came in and helped. Yep. It's all the rubbish and handing out water to people and, yeah. you know, like Salvation Army was there, same with everyone was there, so it yeah. was good. And I think they called them the Mud Army at one stage because they were just there with shovels, shoveling mud out of people's ground floors or wherever it might have been, those sorts of things. Other? Yep. Thanks, Kathy. Yeah, I just thought about Christchurch. Um, yeah. Most of you all know we lived quite a many years in New Zealand and we were there during the big earthquake in Christchurch and um, there was just from right across the country a huge outpouring to help people rebuild and get their houses in order and just the streets. I mean, you go to Christchurch today and there's still lots yeah. of signs of that earthquake. It was pretty devastating for yeah. people, but um, such a huge sense of um, uh, support and um, and comfort for people and work, you know, people down tools from their jobs and went and moved there. And yep. they had a group of students called the Barmy Army who would go around um, just just doing whatever they could, you know, yep. cleaning up the streets and yeah. helping people move rubble and, you know, housing people and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It was great. Fantastic. Yep. Another one? Thanks, John. Yes, uh, I think I've been very fortunate. Both Pat and I have been very fortunate in our life not to face... Uh, big community issues but I remember I think I would have been about 17 or 18 when Northcote Church of Christ caught on fire mm. and um, if you're aware of the um, where the f church was it was at the top of Ruckus Hill how many remember Ruckus oh, no, it is Ruckus Hill you know where the Orthodox Church is now opposite um, that's where Northcote Church of Christ was years ago. And we certainly came together as a community there, uh, Stutchbury Dairies. I used to walk across a block of land on my way to Sunday school when I was a young lad growing up. I walked from my grandma's across this block of land. Little did I realise then that Stutchbury's, if I remember rightly, donated the land or gave us a very good price for it, where our new church was to be built. And we had a lot of our churches in the uh, Northcote area coming together. We worshipped for months out of um, St. James Presbyterian Church. Yeah. We also used the hall uh, in the Northcote facilities there. So uh, it was an experience for me and I can remember it quite clearly of standing on the hill opposite the church seeing the church burn and just saying oh my dear what next right. so uh, John would probably remember this and Kevin would be the other one whether they experienced it the same way as I did as uh, well I don't know but it's amazing how you think, oh, how are we going to get through this? Because you see the flames and that sort of stuff. But uh, as we've attested to, how the community can pull together in times such as that and opening up space for 
for um, worship service to be held in other churches and those sorts of things. All right. I've got two. Um, my bus was one of the first vehicles through Sarajevo after devastating floods. Houses had two, three foot of mud oozing out of them and there were teams of people helping take furniture that was ruined out onto the street. It was very moving. Yeah. Um, the other thing, the group I sing with um, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, um, made a recording and sent it to the people in Auckland after the massacre uh, as a show of support and the idea was to put it on social media and see how far it would go and it's going all around the world. Wow, isn't that great? And that can be just that whole raising of awareness of the need and, and the issues that surround it. Any last one before I keep on? Yep. Thanks, Helen. Many years ago, I bought a puppy from the Dandelongs yep. uh, and that, and about three weeks later, uh, they had bad fires up there. Yep. So I rang up these people that um, produced these puppies, Datsuns, mm. and I said, is there anything I could help with? And she said, look, we're just down the road. We're trying to evacuate these dogs. I end up with about 25 dogs wow. at my place. I yep. got them down. And two mothers had just had baby puppies a couple of days before. So you could just imagine. You know, I had this little puppy myself and my yep. young son that loved his little puppy. We had all these puppies for a week, you know. It was, <laughs> was you know, I ended yep. up with five kids. But I tell you what, these puppies, I never stopped day and night with them, oh, but they were imagine. so grateful because it went right through their area. Yeah. And I thought I'd just bring up and ask if anything I could do, yep. and they got them down in some van to my yep. place. Yeah. Wow. So that was an experience, but yep. it did help. Yeah, yeah Thank absolutely. You. Just a simple way of being able to help, and Len's going to slip in them as the last one. In the mid-80s, we lost our son of uh, an accident, and um, the church brought us together. Especially Bill and Betty Nash. Yeah. They were very supportive. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Bill and Betty, for doing that. Australian social researcher Hugh McKay writes, Although some people behave badly in a crisis, running away from danger that others need to be rescued from, or looting properties that have been flooded or laughing at others' misfortunes. Most people rise to the occasion, not just satisfactorily, but brilliantly. It's one of the characteristics of human beings. Because of our sense of community is so deep and powerful within us, we respond almost unthinkingly to the needs of others when, there is, um, when they are suddenly in our face. And the more acute the need, the more uh, reflexive is our response. That's not because we were born to be heroic. It's because we are social creatures. We know viscerally rather than cognitively that we are connected to each other, part of each other, bound by our common humanity. Even without a crisis to face, we are naturally inclined to connect rather than disconnect to engage rather than disengage. Look at the volunteers who give up precious evenings and weekends year after year and you realise the spirit of the community is far from dead. It was actually interesting, and I'll 
divert just for a moment. I was doing, uh, filling out a grant application for Darabin City Council for their partnership grant, which is for $50,000 a year over three years. And they asked for the dollar value of the volunteers that support Northern. And we worked out that on the, the Darabin City Council calculations, the dollar value of volunteering that is contributed to Northern Community Care Works and our, our activities that we do here is in the vicinity of about $3.9 million in value every year. And that's based on $25 an hour compared to the Australian Bureau of Statistics average wage which would be about $42 an hour, which would push it up to about $6 million a year in donated time. The value of volunteering can never be underestimated. In our reading from Nehemiah chapter 2 that Lorraine read, we discover what I believe are a few critical um, ingredients in what it is to be a positive influence, to uh, respond in a positive way in a time of crisis. The first is recognition or awareness. It sounds like a no-brainer, but people need to be aware of the need. For Nehemiah, living far away, we pick up his recognition of the need in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the tw uh, 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the fortress of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah recognised that there was a need when he heard from his brother Hananiah about the significant issues that were faced in Jerusalem. For us today, the issues that they were facing in Jerusalem would be like us living in our homes without a front door. Would you feel secure? Would you feel safe? Nehemiah's people lived in anything but safety. As followers of Jesus, God can reveal to us a crisis in other ways as well. Whether it be Joseph or Daniel with the interpreting of dreams, or in the New Testament, Agabus, who is used by God to predict a famine. In Acts chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, during, the time, during this time, some prophets travelled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. Recognition can come in all sorts of ways, but unless we know, it makes it difficult to respond. But after recognition comes the challenge of the journey of a, a figurative foot in distance. It must move from recognition to compassion. It must move, as it were, from our head to our heart. Hugh McKay recognises that for some, rather than being moved by compassion and altruism, some people are moved by selfishness and opportunism. Praying 
on the misfortunes of others, looting properties and laughing at others. But for most people, at least for a little while, there's a move from the head to the heart, from recognition to compassion. This is hinted at in Acts chapter 11, in the acknowledgement in Acts chapter 11, verse 29. So the believers in Antioch decided there was something that was going on for them that they not only recognized, but they had compassion on the situation and what was being predicted. Something happened as a result of this prophetic revelation that moved their hearts. Similarly, Nehemiah was also moved, as we read in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, I mourned, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Both of these occasions, the compassion that they felt moved them into some form of action. For Nehemiah, the need was way too great for him to fix it fix the problem by himself. He recognized the need that he, and he had the compassion for those in need, but he lacked the capacity to respond in and of himself. He needed political willpower. He needed a king who had no real interest in Yahweh God. But through prayer, Nehemiah experienced the king's favor, providing resources necessary to respond to the crisis. While Nehemiah lacked the capacity, the ability to adequately respond to the crisis for the release of the resources of the king, Nehemiah had both the recognition, the compassion, and with the king's help, the resources, he now had the ability to respond. Later, in Acts 11, we read about the capacity to respond was actually in the pockets of the people. In Acts 11, verse 29, So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. The Bible teaches quite clearly about the importance of regular giving to the ministries and the work of the church. But in times of crises, when they arise and God moves in people's hearts to dig deep and to give as much as they could, for the people facing famine, Imagine how amazing it would have been to see these gifts being distributed as there was need. For us today, when there are cries for help, when the crises are experienced, it's important that we don't live our life with our head in the sand. It's important for us to be informed, to have recognition and awareness of the issues. But more than just a 30-second news spot, or an article in a paper, we need to be moved with compassion. We need to have a heart like God's who is moved by the needs of people. Our compassion moves us to act. Our first act should be to pray. Nehemiah was moved to pray and I believed it would have been a pretty safe assumption that in Acts as well, there was when this prophetic word came about in the church meeting, in almost as it were, like a church service, about a famine coming across the entire Roman world, there would have been people moved with compassion to pray. I wonder what moves you to pray. We can pray individually, but there is something special about coming together to pray. Recognizing the need, 
we are moved with compassion. And through prayer, we respond like Nehemiah in the Old Testament and the believers in Antioch in Acts. We respond based on our capacity. And when people people prayerfully give as much as they can, and there is still a gap, we need God to move in the hearts of others as well, whether it be government or in other ways. And this was true for Nehemiah, and it can be true for situations for us today as well. In Nehemiah's situation, the people in need knew that there was a need. In that Bible reading that we had before, that Lorraine read, the the people were, they were living in that situation where the walls were broken down and there were no gates to keep them safe. They knew the need and they had some capacity as well to respond to the need because the the block work for the, the walls was there, but they didn't have enough capacity. Nehemiah provided the leadership necessary to get the job done. You know, it's easy for us to focus on, in our time of need, what's in the best interest of the church. But I want us to cast our gaze a little further. You see, I believe that God wants us as a church and churches everywhere to be leaders in the community when it comes to responding to times of cries and crises. To be ready to respond when there is a situation of need. We won't be able to respond in every situation, but we as a church today must have a good reputation in the community to look out for not only our own interests, but the interests of others as well. But that's not always easy. Sure, responding to the obvious need is easier. After all, they're in plain sight, they're easy to see. But what about those cries and crises that sit in the shadows, as Hugh McKay puts it. Cries of social isolation. If neighbours don't stay in touch, Hugh writes, occasionally calling in to see how they are getting on, perhaps making a cup of tea or staying for a chat or offering to do some shopping, feelings of isolation and confinement can snowball into a miserable sense of exclusion. In the shadows can lie shame. The threat of connection with the community might also be frayed by shame over a partner who strays, a child who gets into trouble with the law, a financial disaster that cripples a family. In the shadows can also lie bereavement. For many people, the most dramatic experience of frayed connections with a sense of community can come after the death of a spouse. In one moment, you're a part of a couple, fully integrated with your family your friendship circle, your neighbourhood and the wider community as an established pair, then suddenly you're on your own. There's also parents who try to navigate through life with distressed children, others struggling with mental illness, refugees trying to find where they fit in a new land, the endless wait and how they'll survive in the meantime, the elderly who in other cultures are considered as tribal elders in Australia, are too often considered as burdens on the government's budget. The poor, the unemployed, the underemployed. The list can go on of those who sit in the shadows. We as a church always need to be attentive, to be aware and to give a voice 
to the cries of those that can go unheard. These are God-given opportunities to model, to lead the way on what it means to create community. There is something special that is created when a community comes together to respond to a cry or a crisis, to recognise the need, to value it, to give voice to it, to have compassion and to prayerfully respond both within our capacity and prayerfully petition um, those in political office advocating for those in need. I believe Jesus calls us to be a voice, to provide leadership in creating a strong community that responds well to the cries and the crises that we will experience from time to time in our community. In James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says this, If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. He goes on to say, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. As we respond today, I want to invite you to consider prayerfully responding to one of the following. Recognition. I think it might be... Yeah, there we go. Recognition. Am I caught up, so caught up in my own thoughts that I miss recognising the cries of others? Compassion. Have I hardened my heart to the cries of others? Is fear potentially holding me back from expressing compassion? Capacity. Am I so busy in investing in my own world that I lack the capacity when the needs arise to respond to the cries of others? Prayer. Is prayer an important part of my responding to the cries of others? And leadership. Am I prepared to support the church so that we can lead the way in creating community at times of crises? What I'd encourage you to do is to take some time to prayerfully reflect on each of those and there might be one that just stands out a little bit more and to write a prayer of response saying, God, I recognise that I've hardened my heart to the cries of another. Would you help me to have a soft heart? to have a sensitive heart, a generous heart that will overcome fear and respond in times of need. Whatever your prayer might be, we're going to have some music played and I encourage you as this music's played to prayerfully respond as God prompts you. Those response cards and our offering will be collected as we sing our final song which will be after communion as well. Let's respond to the things that God's saying to us today. God bless you.